Ava. Matt. Hi. How are you? I have never been better. What a time to be alive. Sometimes mm. when you say it's that you've never been better, I almost think you're being sarcastic. I am just a tiny bit being sarcastic. Honestly, listen, we're alive. Anything is possible when you're That's alive. Right. All That's things right. are possible because you are alive. Uh, but I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. We have an excellent interview this week. Very excited yes, for people do. to hear this conversation. Um, and I think we mentioned this last week, maybe, but... In the latest issue of Esquire, in the Correct. Dave Holmes' America column, mm-hmm. there's an excellent piece on, and I'm now, forgive me, I just forgot the title, but it's sort of like an ode to clutter. Yeah. What, yeah. What, is that is that right? It is. It is. It is. Uh, yeah. I'm, um, I, I, you know, just basically making the case for vinyl. Oh, right, sure. Uh, which you know i will i will die on that hill i think you should have a record player if not more than one uh the act of putting on a record and consuming a full album the way that it was intended when it's a pain in the ass to go and skip a song is like it's good for you you should be yeah consuming music in this way and and it's you know it's also not a bad thing to just have a few little you know i know i know we're marie condoing and stuff but it's it's good to have a few things around that you're like, eh, I don't, I, I only see this when I clean my house once a year, but it brings back a specific memory and I want to keep it. You know, it's, it's interesting. You should bring this up because my father's easy chair uh, arrived at my house uh, last Friday. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. We, uh, we cleaned out our, uh, our folks house. And that was like the one thing that I really wanted was my dad's easy chair where I watched him take numerous snaps uh and watch multiple uh, football games on mute uh uh it's uh, it's a big giant leather easy chair it's in my office it is right next to me it does not fit aesthetically or physically uh it's uh it's enormous and it arrived and i put it in and i sat down and i fell asleep immediately and it was it was absolutely glorious oh. i feel as though my father is here um and dad i'm you know i'm sorry about all the only fans that i uh, sometimes watch in this office but but not in that chair not in his chair no that would be disrespectful my own office chair uh but yeah uh, get vinyl steal furniture from your parents if you can that's right that's, and the reason i brought it up is i was reading the piece and i it struck me that you know we talk about music so much on here i mean you, you, mostly i you know, listen while you you speak uh, beautifully about music. But as someone who I don't even know what the word is for the the level of music lover that you are, are you able? Because I don't know this about you. Are 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 you able to name a single top favorite album of all time? I don't think I can. I don't think I can. Uh, it changes too much. My moods change too much. There are there are ones in the rotation. Um hmm. but even those are like I don't I actually don't listen to them all that much. Um oh wow. Yeah, no, I can't. So anything from Tommy Keene or Frank Turner or Jason Faulkner. These are these are people who have never let me down, not even once. Um and yeah, but no, I don't I don't know. Also, uh, Robin, just the the pure mm. Robin album. Uh, you cannot, you cannot surpass. I Did know what you, you're about to say. You heard the 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 cover, uh, the cover of Buffalo Stance. Yes, yes. and I, I love that it is. It's for nap time because those of us who remember it from from back then. You know, the the dancing maybe doesn't happen as much as as it maybe did back in 1989. Now it's more about a, a Saturday afternoon kind of a situation. They've modulated yeah. it perfectly. I yeah, I'm 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 very into it. Very into I am it. Too. What about you? Do you have a favorite album? God, I don't think I do either. Uh, but it's it's not really for the same reason. Where I I it's I don't have this like rich vast knowledge, and we don't need it if if you love something. If I had, there is one Donny Hathaway live album and he has three of them and they're all sort of the same, but there's one in particular that I think is maybe just called live that I love 
probably more than anything. Um, Is that the one with a jealous guy on it? Yes. Oh, yes. my God. And you've got Fuck a friend. Up. Fuck me up. Uh, mm. And we're still friends. And it's so beautiful. Um, yeah, I don't know. There are, there are so many others, too. But I think if I had to choose, that's where I'm landing. Okay. Donny Hathaway Live. We should, well, let's, make a, let's make a Spotify playlist for the kids. Yeah. I love it. We'll do that. We'll do a little collaborative we'll do playlist. It. Spotify is down right now, but it'll come back on at some point. And we'll, we'll save Spotify from the, from the rogies of the we world. We must. We have to. Fauzia Mirza. She is a filmmaker. She is an actor. She is uh, an absolute charming human being who, um, who I met when I was down in Austin for South by Southwest doing the, the episode with uh, Lance Bass that you were there. Oh, yes. Over really a, a primitive version of Zoom. That's right. You were a trailblazer. Uh, anyway, um, Fauzi and I totally bonded. We were like, we need to hang out. And then the, uh, the, the pandemic happened. So this is how we hang out with people. We have on a podcast. What a good hang she is. And by she's the way, so I mean, nice. she's d- d- has accomplished so much professionally. She wrote a feature called Signature Move, and she wrote on the show The Red Line from Ava DuVernay, a bunch of other stuff. Also, uh, co-directed the TikTok series Hidden Canyons, which uh, I bring up because we're going to have the creator and producers uh, and stars of that on the show very soon. So check that out. Uh, Hidden Cameras extravaganza coming soon on homophilia hidden hidden canyons hidden cameras is what i said that's what i said <laughs> hidden canyon or hidden canyons unclear uh that is coming soon but right now fauzia mirsa man please please meet filmmaker extraordinaire canadian american treasure american-ish uh someone i met and and was like, oh, I, they, we're going to be super good friends. And then a pandemic happened almost immediately. So now this is how we hang out. Uh, folks, please welcome filmmaker Fazia Mirsa. Hello. Hi, how are you? Never better. Never, Never better. better. Never better. I'm glad I can be here along for the the ride as uh, you two try to solidify your friendship through podcasting. Yeah, yeah. This is what we do. Yes, uh, Fazia, uh, you and I met at South by Southwest at uh, at an after party for. Uh, I I remember it was uh, for uh, Paul Feig has a company called Powder Keg, and yes. they had a couple films that they or short web series they had produced that were there, and we had a friend who was in one of them, and my wife and I, well, my not then wife but my since wife, uh, uh-huh. were there and. I remember leaving that place being like, oh, Dave Holmes is a delight. I love that place saying Fazio Mirza is a delight. And then oh we were gosh. like, oh, let's, let's hang out. Let's, and it just, you know, one thing leads to another. And then the entire world shuts down for two years and counting. And yeah. this is, this is how, this is the workaround. So you become I love it. podcast guest, which you should have been all along, regardless of yes. whether we met at an after party. Well, that was actually what I was vying for. Like our friendship go. was for two years, I've been planning this. Um, mm. And so now it is finally, it's finally happened. And it's now uh, the three of us uh, in on yep. this. Matt, welcome. Wow. Yeah. Yep. You've been playing. Thank a you. Long and game. Fazia, by the way, uh, dream bigger, please, <laughs> than, than being on homophilia because we're very lucky to have Delighted. you. So, Fazia, how, uh, how is everything? In, in the late winter of 22 for you. Yeah, it's good. Um, I've been thinking a lot about how there's so much work that's done in Hollywood that you can't ever talk about. Um, most of the work is done kind of almost like underground. And then when people hear about it in the public, it's sort of at a whole other level. And you're like, it's a miracle. Anything actually gets made. But um, since we've met, I've actually really dug into, uh, I've, I've made several shorts and I'm really digging into directing. So writing and directing is the main focus. Um, I like to think of myself as a retired actor, but that as soon as I say that somebody's like, why don't you audition for this thing? And I'm like, Hmm, 
okay, cool. Maybe I should just stop doing more things and then they will appear in front of me uh, easily. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I've been writing a lot and um, developing a lot um, in sort of the TV and, and feature space. And actually, um, since, since we met at the powder keg event, I've actually been working with, uh, Paul Feig's company and, uh, wrote and directed a short film, uh, for their company. And, you know, we're going to be working on, uh, hopefully the feature as well. So it's, you know, there's a lot of things, but it's, it's been good. And then there's all the life things that happen on top of that. Like, it, 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 it's it's so fascinating because now it's that world where you're like, well, how are you for two and a half years? I mm-hmm. are you? I saw things on so like a lot happened, and and it's true. Like there's really no other way to 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 ask, but also how do you dig into all of it? And um, you know, there's been many ups and downs. Personal life, we went through a lot of stuff. With I was in Toronto for a year with my wife uh, in the first year of the pandemic. Um, and survived, survived that, um, and now returned to LA. Um, and yeah, many things, many things. Well, uh, we're going to get into all of them, but right. in, in this time, what, what is the, what's the popular culture that you're reaching for? What are you, what are you watching, reading, listening to that is calming you? So I have to tell you, so in when we were in Toronto, my wife and I, during the pandemic, one bad thing that happened was that she was diagnosed with cancer. Now, the good thing is that it was cervical cancer. They found it early and she is doing exceptionally well and is healing really, really great. Oh, now, God. Good. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're doing great. And uh, we're so lucky and we're so blessed. The moral of the story that she shares is everyone should, who has a has all those uh, body parts should get a pap. That is the way to protect yourself from cervical cancer. Now, one of the things that she loves to do is watch really familiar television when she is struggling. And so during her healing process, um, we watched two things uh, from the beginning. One was Grey's Anatomy. And I had not seen 17 seasons of Grey's Anatomy before. She had. So we watched every single episode together. Wow. Yes. Um, And she found it really comforting because there was this capacity to, well, one, it was familiar voices, familiar people. You know what happens to their lives. Even when they're struggling, you know how it's going to turn out. You know who dies. You know who doesn't. Um, and also she found it comforting for them talking about surgical procedures and it helped her in her healing. Mm. The other thing we watched a lot of, and I had not watched a lot of drag race, really not much at all. Yeah. She took me back and we watched every episode ever of all drag race, including all stars. Wow. We. Uh, uh, U.S. only. Oh no. oh no! Oh <laughs> no! Oh boy! Canada's yeah, you, drag race is... was, yeah, yeah. U.K. I mean, now I'm just like, babe, when when are we watching? You know, we miss. We got to watch it right now, right? Like, let's. I'm mm-hmm. gonna feel better soon. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, th- that's you know that that's not as current, but those are two things that we definitely did. Uh, also, one of the things we're doing now is we rewatched every episode of Top Chef uh, in anticipation of the new season coming out. Uh, and I don't, this is clearly a theme. Now, when you're married, you do things for your partner. Uh, that's uh, a lesson I've learned. We also, when like Insecure was on its last episode, we rewatched every episode, which was only six seasons, but. To, in order to kind of bring us through to the end and, and kind of feel the, the, the feeling of what that show really did and how yeah. it changed, uh, both it changed itself within itself and its storytelling, but also in how, I don't know, how pop culture, just culture changed both, by, you know, through it and, and because of it, I think. Yeah. You, okay, so that Insecure is a breezy one because there are, as you said, only six seasons. <laughs> yeah. Everything else is like a minimum of 35 seasons for you to watch. Drag Race was what? Like, if you count all the, like, yeah. I don't know how many episodes of that. 
even. Yeah, it's incalculable. I want to get back to Grey's Anatomy for a minute. How has it has it affected your musical taste? How much Snow Patrol <laughs> are are you consuming in your real life? There's a very specific kind of music supervision on that show. There really is. And it's the kind that you're like, why am I crying right now? Yes. <laughs> it's the kind of it's the same kind of music supervision that happens on This Is Us. Like, oh boy, the one where you're like, I'm manipulated, but I don't mind? Question mm-hmm. mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really respect the level of manipulation that's at work here. And I, I see it, but it's still working on me. I could cry right now thinking about that Snow Patrol song and Izzy and Denny and the prom dress and all of Well, that. and they had, Grey's Anatomy had, as my wife pointed out, who I will name. So she's not just a nameless person. Uh, her name is Andrea Wilson Mirza. Uh, but there's the musical episode, right? And she was like, oh my God, they oh, right. were just, you know, Shonda just revolutionized. And I'm like, yeah, here it is, the musical episode. So there's that too, where everybody's singing. We s- set out to do a full Grey's Anatomy rewatch from the beginning of the pandemic. And I, we didn't even <laughs> get through season two. Not, I mean, I, I love the show, but it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a labor. You know, that's just a lot of, lot of hours you have to log. It's a so lot. My, my hat is <laughs> off to, to you both yeah. for, for doing the work. Matt, the way that you started that question, I almost thought you were going to say we set out to do a musical episode, which... I don't think we have, but probably should. <laughs> Maybe you should. Yeah. Well, and it is really fun to go back, and especially given where Sarah Ramirez is right now and playing yeah. Che Diaz, the new icon of television, uh, the queer icon that they are. Uh, Sarah Ramirez was exceptional in Grey's Anatomy, and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is this is how far culture has come, you can really see it through that show. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah and it was so interesting watching Sara Ramirez and um, George, I just forgot the yeah, actor's name, who we all know is gay. And that in, a, in a, such a strange way, like their relationship makes sense, like because they are kind of coded as queer. And I know her character later came out as bi, but I don't think was at the, right. at the time. Um, but it, it's so interesting watching it back through, you know, the, knowing that 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 is the future Che Diaz, knowing that he is this future out gay actor. Like, yeah, that's I, I buy them as a couple, you know. Yeah, agree. Fuzzy up. You've opened the door. I'm I'm here. I just want you to know that, like, I am ready. And, um, you know, if we need to phone oh a wife, I'm happy to do it. Like, if there's something okay. that I don't recall, she'll be like. It episode season 12 mm-hmm. uh episode uh mm-hmm. plane crash you know what i mean like that kind right. of right it's a different door that i oh. would like to fully <laughs> right. push open and it is that of mm-hmm. and just like that because oh. you did name drop jds so did you watch what were your thoughts what are your thoughts all of our thoughts are evolving i do want you to know that i did listen to uh the michael patrick king episode episodes Uh you're not gonna hold him down to one i also want you to know that a dear friend of mine writes for the show samantha irby Mm. who oh yeah who michael did reference uh as part of the uh you know the experience of having a zoom writer's room it's like i can see you sam irby um chicago and i lived in chicago for a long time so sam is a a chicago treasure um what tell me okay the question is what are my thoughts well you know here's the thing we are gonna watch every episode that they ever make no matter what happens no matter where they go whether we believe every storyline or not um i will say that my favorite episode was sam irby's episode and i and and, okay in full disclosure Obviously, these are spoilers, I suppose. Um, in full disclosure, I did not know it was her episode until the end. But when Sarah Jessica was ta- walking with a cane and talking about putting uh, drugstore patches on her back and talking about her mm-hmm. bladder issues, I was like, Samantha Irby wrote this episode. She had to. Yeah. And then there's like peeing in a Snapple bottle and then all the fing- fingering. And I was like, 
had to have. And then at the end, of course, it's written by Samantha. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Favorite episode. Favorite episode. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it sounds like um, your take is everyone's take, which is we're, we're in forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's, a, it's, a, I, I've never seen anything consumed like this by the entire world where it's like, I don't, I'm not sure what's going on, but I will watch this until <laughs> the day I die. If they make 1 million episodes, I'll watch 1 million episodes. Um, I, what are your views on the show? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, it's Dave, tread carefully, yeah, please. Of course, of course. Um, it's uh, so delicious. In so, so many ways. And like so much so, and, and in fact, watch it. I don't know if you watched the documentary. There was a documentary that came out after the uh, this series finale. I have not watched it, but I'm actually dying to watch it. Yeah, it's great. It's great. But it it speaks to the the level of meticulousness that everybody entered into the project with. You, you know, just like making sure every item on every shelf is arranged just so because it says this thing or that thing about about the character. But then there were so many other. But then it was like, oh, we're so we're never going to see a scene between Miranda and Brady as she, you know, divorces right. his father and changes her life completely. You know, there, there were just, there were missing things and that, and things that didn't make sense character wise. And yet, watched every episode twice. Well, and honestly, listening to Michael Patrick King, I was fascinated by how, you know, he said on your show, he's like, no one's saying they're, they're, they're just, they're like, what is that? They're just asking all these questions and continue to watch. And I was just really impacted by how I felt exactly the same way that I, I was still, I couldn't wait to tune in and I will keep watching. And also, I mean, I I also like, you know, as a South Asian person, as a South Asian woman, uh, Sarita Chaudhary, I'm just like you, how were you not part of the, this, this, this verse, you know, this, this sex in the city verse before, because Mm -hmm. she is, you know, since Mississippi Masala, she's like just been a queen uh, for our people. And now we are just like so grateful that more folks get to share in her greatness. Yeah, she was. Yes, she was a true highlight, you know, uh, and my yeah, I mean, I love the show uh, without irony, without apology and um, will defend it to the death. And my only beef with it is that the episodes oh were too gosh. short. You've seen yeah. it. I've seen I've seen him kill. I've seen him take a human life over this show. Seriously, <laughs> I, I'll I do mean, it. I love it. It's and true. Fashion, like honestly, I'm like I feel like let's let's see more fashion. I think that's something that we all love to tune into, and and I, I like it's. I kind of feel unapologetic about it. I'm like, can I afford to wear what Carrie wears? No, do, but do I want to see Carrie wear no. more of it? Like doing blase things constantly. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Um, what did you grow up obsessed with pop culture wise? Well, of course, all of these things date us. Uh, but I was obsessed with uh, Gem and the Holograms. Does that? Come on now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Big t- I had a Gem doll. You I, I did? Had a, 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 a game, I believe, a board game. Uh, yes. And like, who didn't want to just like press their little earring and Showtime Synergy yeah. and become your fantasy? I mean, I, I basically it was drag. Oh, yeah. big time. Yes. And it, it's such a shame that there hasn't been a proper gem movie made. Yeah. You know, there, I know there, there was one, but I, it doesn't, it doesn't I don't even think. do to speak of yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think anyone's you know? fighting for that gem movie you know in the no one's no one's fighting for that i i agree i think a great remake would be fantastic fantastic maybe another animated show and live action i i guess yeah yeah the timing is perfect if we can have a josie and the pussycats yeah surely we can have a gem in the holograms yeah. maybe maybe there's a mashup that has yet to be made of them 
Yeah, if we can have this whole goddamn Marvel cinematic universe, surely Jem and Josie can meet at some point. What was it about Jem that grabbed you? I mean, beyond the drag of it all. You know, well, you, you know, it, it's so interesting because like I did not come out, whatever that means. I did not come out, uh, uh, you know, as a queer person, nor did I think of myself as queer until I was, you know well beyond my teens and like to uh, to the age of 29 um and i'm not 29 now barely so very recently the past year i would i would guess a few very very yeah yesterday um but uh so i i didn't i didn't have that experience of this is telling my queer coded story but i do reflect on a show like that and think about the the coding of queerness that's in that show but it was the fantasy it's the fantasy and it is that superhero feeling of like this person their dreams your dreams can come true you can have this exceptional life and i think it was this dream of exceptionalism of superhero status of mm-hmm. of becoming the thing and i think also as someone who grew up like raised pretty conservatively you know i was raised pretty conservative muslim and uh you know i'm pakistani and wasn't allowed to like drink or hang out with boys or go to prom or did I say drink, uh, you know, wear short skirts and that kind of thing. <laughs> sure. I, there was also this awareness of secrets and how we have to keep secrets. Like granted, I, you know, I don't necessarily think that's like a healthy way to live our whole life, but having this duality was really common for me and, and for lots of Muslim kids I knew. So, um, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, there's somebody else who just gets it. You can't tell everybody your secret. Like, just, it's okay. Keep it for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And you can have this entire other skill set that people in your daily life don't know anything about or have to know anything about. You disappear into a fantasy. Yeah. So when you were not watching Gem and the Holograms, what, d- describe Fauzia the child for us in, in general. What else were you up to? Oh, boy. Um I had a bowl haircut by child. Are we meaning maybe eight? Let's 10, go. 12, yeah, let's in the in the, the let's do in the in the in between the eight and ten. Oh, range. God, um, I uh, yeah, I had a really great bowl haircut. Uh, my, I, you know, I think my mom took me to like the Canadian equivalent of supercuts type places to get the cut, or my dad cut the hair in the you know, on the chair in the kitchen kind of thing. You know, he was a surgeon, so great hands, uh, can cut anything. Sure. Um, sure. sure. And, um, I played soccer, um, didn't know I was gay. Um, played a lot of soccer. So I was running around doing that. Um, and, and actually like my, I, my family lived in a tiny town in Sydney, Nova Scotia, Canada, which is like Canadian Maine. And, uh, you know, we were one of the few Muslim families, few South Asian families, the only family that looked like me in my tiny elementary school and then junior high school. So, you know, really I was striving. I was like, oh, I don't quite fit in and my food is different. And how do I be more like everybody else? Like, why, why do I have this you know, ground beef sandwich with all this, I just want a bologna sandwich, like all the other kids, like, this is annoying. So I, I, I wish we celebrated Christmas. Like this was a time when Rainbow Bright was popular as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there was show and tell for after Christmas at school and stuff. And I was just like, I have nothing to show. We don't celebrate Christmas. Um, uh, Anne of Green Gables, we want, you know, like it was, I, I definitely was struggling with the identity and trying to be like, I wish my name, like back then I wished my name was like Jessica, um, mm. you know, like the twins, like, you know, the edgy Wakefield twin, uh, yes. who, you know, who didn't want to be her blonde and blonde ponytail hair. Um, and for those listening, I don't have blonde hair. I don't have a ponytail. It's like my hair is more like a mullet 
uh, and it's mostly gray and some black. It's stunning. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody uh, take a Google and enjoy because this is iconic hair that we're looking at. Um, And then, so talk to us about high school. Um, what was your, what was your scene in high school? How had you, how had you kind of changed by then? Um, I was the kid who was definitely, uh, still kind of the same, I think in high school in the respect that, you know, I was trying to, like, I I found at a very young age, the power of comedy. So, you know, when you do feel different, you feel like an outsider. It's like, oh, if I make a joke, they'll laugh with me and not at me. And that'll make me feel less alone. So, so I definitely was known as kind of the, the class clown at, at times. Um, and I kept playing soccer. And then actually my family moved from Nova Scotia, Canada to the great state of Indiana. Um, yeah, it was really sexy. It was, it was real sexy. Um, <laughs> that happened. How old were you? Uh, that was uh, 16 and a half, 17. So like a junior okay. in high school tough time to move very Very tough tough time time. i was very angry at my parents for a long time about it um and really i mean i i was definitely someone who struggled with embracing my identity for years like until i went to college and saw so many other people that looked like me so many other and this was before i even had this awareness of queer identity. I was just like, oh, brown, how do I be brown? How do I be Muslim? How do I like, and was in a constant state of trying not to be either of those things. And, and when you think about even the pop culture at the time, like, you know, what was on TV, like there wasn't, we we weren't. And, you know, even through high school and through college, looking at television and movies, you were like, okay, we got, Apu, okay, we got mm-hmm. we got Mindy Kaling, we got her, you know. But like with Apu, you're just like, I don't know what do I want to be? Am I supposed to be him? Am I supposed to marry him? I, but I don't. Both sound not what I want. Um, we had we had uh, you know Harold and, and Kumar go to White Castle. That was you know we had Short Circuit. But then when I felt like tricked when I found out that in Short Circuit the brown guy wasn't brown. And he was just doing accent and brown face. I'm like, damn it, drat. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely, just wanting to try to try to fit in and make sense of things. I mean, I I was in the band, you know, I was played, did band things. I loved performance. Um, what did you play? What was your instrument in band? <clears throat> the French horn. Oh, oh no. baby, baby, <laughs> the sexy Very French horn. Yeah. It's uh, you, and I just want you to know how how queer the French horn is, because in order to play it, I mean, like many brass instruments, you know, you're you have to be able to vibrate your mouth against this mouthpiece very well for a long period of time, but with the French horn, you have to really kind of cup your hand inside a bell for an ex- oh, lo- right. extended period of periods of time and just really cup it. You have to be really great at cupping. So I feel like there's something mm-hmm. about that that was like telling me something and I just didn't pick up on it. <laughs> right. So you moved mm-hmm. uh, for your senior year or half of your junior year and then your yeah, senior year. Yeah, um, junior year, senior year to Indiana, to a small yeah. town called Wabash, Indiana. Wabash, Indiana. Yeah, first electrically lit city in the country. Home of Crystal Gale. Whoa! Wow. All right. Hey, you're in good company. Floor length hair. hair. Remember that? Yeah, of course. Sure. I think still has it, if I'm not mistaken. Where is she now? I haven't really thought about her lately. I haven't thought about her either, but I'm pretty sure she's still around. And I can't imagine her, you know, going with a bob, you know, at this stage. (laughs) I feel like, yeah. you know, you commit. But so uh, moving to a brand new school, did you have thoughts of reinvention of, of like, ooh, I can be, I can be something brand new now? Yeah. Wow. 
Dave, where were you then? I feel like I needed this advice then. I honestly, you know, the first- I was in St. Louis answering these questions for myself, by the way, <laughs> poorly. We were close. We were close. Yeah. Um, the One of the first memories I really have of being in Indiana, I guess, unfortunately, I don't know, but like, I just felt like a, I'd ne- I didn't know my parents had accents. Yeah. And like, you know, like I didn't know they had, you know, they were both born, uh, you know, in formerly in India, uh, pre part, my dad was born pre the India Pakistan partition, but, um, I didn't know they had accents. And then when I moved to Indiana, uh, uh, friends, I was making even good friends, even their parents, they would do my parents accents for me. And they'd be like, oh, you're, I met your dad at the grocery, at the hospital today. And he was talking like this. And I was like, is that how my dad sounds? Like, and I didn't have the courage or the strength or I was so self-conscious and, you know, uh, didn't want to people pleaser. Um, and, and, you know, knew and I, was, I, I didn't correct them at the time or recognize how awful it was, but I just knew I was like, that's weird. I didn't know they had accents. And so it was actually my experience living in Indiana and moving there where I started to see even we were different in a whole other way that I hadn't processed yet, which is really wild that there are these differences in both communities, but country and culture as well. Um, and, you know, I, I really kind of leaned into, um, being the funny one. Um, I did, you know, even harder, I would say, and being the one who was like, you know, partying and funny and, um, everyone's best friend. Um, you know, and I was, I was in band, but I was also friends with the cheerleaders. I was, you know, doing theater, but also I was trying to create the a soccer team at the school because they didn't know what soccer was because it was pre the Mia Hamm revolution. Like it was that kind of moment. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, in Indiana. Um, and um, yeah, it was a fascinating, weird experience, but truly just still trying to cultivate a, a place. And I was like, oh yeah, we're going to throw parties at my house. My mom and dad are out of town and it's going to be fun. And Like that was definitely my vibe at the time for sure. My mom doesn't listen to podcasts, so she won't know. uh, What she doesn't know won't hurt her. No. I mean, if it has, it already did. We're at a different place now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What was, what was the a party like with no parents around? What's, what's on the soundtrack? What's, what's on the stereo? I want to fuck you like an animal was quite popular. Uh, getting right. closer to God mm-hmm. was a big, you know, like that whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. Green Day, all the the offspring. Mm. Um, you know, like that was that was the vibe for sure, which is also really fascinating. And I'm sure y'all talk about this or or have talked about this, but it's like to see so much of that coming back is all like just the way everybody's dressing you're like wait whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. slow down yeah Yeah. and the idea that that those groups are the old guard now is very strange yeah um that green day has been around long enough to be in the rock and roll hall of fame or nine inch nails or any of the like they are now the the elder statesman which is i i can't I can't get that through my head. Yeah. It's it's just too much. And I feel like that was also you, you were, that was your BJ time, right? Like that was maybe before. It was a little bit before. before. I was, I I was, yeah, it was maybe three, four years before. Um, But even that, like, even when my, you know, time did come around those, you know, Backstreet Boys and stuff have been around for coming on 25 years now, which is uh, uh, nuts. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's just time needs to. No, cool. it's wild. I mean, honestly, I um, I was in Toronto for the Toronto International Film Festival this last September, and my wife and I watched the Jagged Little Pill documentary and uh, of, of about Alanis Morissette. And honestly, one of the things that was so wild about watching that was remembering that time in our lives and thinking, "Holy shit!" Like that was feels like so long ago and also what 
a revolution. I, I, we, I, we didn't know. I didn't know that we were, it was such a revolutionary moment in music and culture and that she was ch- part of changing music. So, so hard. And that, you know, it was hard for, 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 for radio folks to play music by women until they couldn't ignore Alanis Morissette anymore. Um, like yeah. that for me was like freshman year of college. And n- n- there was not, I lived in the dorms and at Indiana university in Bloomington, Indiana, like huge, huge big 10 school. And you could not walk down the hallway without hearing someone, everyone, someone was playing a track from that album, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's something so satisfying about seeing her get her due right now because she she was like you're saying she was it's hard to overstate the impact that she had but then there was this period of like 20 years where was she was she's still working and she's still around but it there was she was i I mean i hate to say it but she she was treated with a sense of like irony like people had a a sort of an ironic love for her and then and i saw her at the hollywood bowl this past summer you know for the anniversary tour and now you can just feel everybody leave you know just finally like giving her the respect that she deserves oh totally i saw her we went we had t- we had bought tickets to see her in vegas and you know the shows got canceled and so we were like oh okay well you know uh we'll go we maybe we won't go but then we ended up going and uh it was unbelievable like just a huge packed sold out crowd of people and i was like i think she's way better of a singer now even and i think she's been training and just like honestly her 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 neck like i don't know where talk about a superpower i felt like her voice was coming from another planet the way it was coming out of her yeah yeah that the the amount of control that she has and and the range that she has and and the power yeah i I was saying to do afterward like I feel like she could be an opera singer, you know, just like the technical skill alone. Um, Yeah. Love her. She's, she, she got hootied in a way. She did. Like, you know, there's a handful of artists who break through in such a massive way and people buy their albums by the tens of millions. And, um, and and if, if I don't know if it's the timing of the follow up that's the thing, or if it's just subtle cultural changes, or if it was that '90s thing of just like I was really into this two years ago and I'm afraid to be yeah. too into it now because what if it's not cool anymore or whatever? But yeah, like it, it, she, there were she and Hootie and um, I mean it's certainly the boy bands also later like had this giant moment and then it was like oh, I don't it's not okay to like them anymore like they would still sell a couple million albums every time they put an album out but it was just like the adoration went away and there we didn't know what to do next yeah also i've never heard the phrase she got hootied but like or someone got hootied but like i do you use that i love it it's great it makes no it's I think that was the the debut of it's, that verb. It should be used that way. I mean, it, it makes so much sense. I mean, I remember when Alanis came out with uh, that song, Thank You, Thank You, India, Thank, thank You. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. honestly, so I'm a Pisces and it is Pisces season. You too. Oh, my God. oh there you go. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's our time. Uh, but, but like yes, all, the, all that sincerity of emotion that, is in that mm-hmm. song. I even I definitely remember feeling like, oh God, she's I don't know at the time and myself as well, and being reminded now of how just sincere and earnest that song really is about her healing. Yeah. And when you really think about what she went through, her journey, it's like, yeah, she needed to heal. She was kind of just destroyed by the industry. And was that at that pivot point for women artists? And um, yeah, you're right. It's like it wasn't cool for a while anymore. Although I never stopped listening to that album. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's perfect. So why yeah. would you? Um, yeah, it's just an, an odd case. So 
after college, uh, you've got a good chunk of I, maybe I don't know six seven years where you are now an independent adult person, but still not out. <laughs> yeah. So what what was going on in that period of time? Were, were, what what was your dating life like? Mm-hmm. Um, well, honestly, I mean, and I I I openly talk about this stuff. I I, I really just struggled with I struggled with weight. I struggled with self love. I struggled with feeling like I was worthy, you know, and I dreamt of like, what's my husband going to be like? And, you know, there was going to be this arranged marriage. And I was like, well, who's it going to be? And, you know, my, I, I, I grew up, you know, in a household where, you know, my, I had two older siblings and, you know, they were attractive and to me cool. And so I was like, oh, I'm not that. So who am I going to find? And so really struggled with all of that. And well, after, so I, 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 I wouldn't say I dated a lot, but you know, for me, college was the cliche, like college was the place where I was like, I am here. I'm going to party. I'm going to hook up with dudes. Cause that's what all the girls were doing on my floor. You know, it's like, you go to the party, you hook up and then you talk about it the next day over hangover food. And that's awesome. And, you know, quite frankly, like that's how I felt like I suddenly belonged, um, was this kind of world. And it was the first time I was living away from family. And the first time I was really free to kind of do whatever I wanted. Like, you know, in, in high school, I wasn't allowed to, you know, hang out per se. Like, it's like, what are you going to do with your friends? We're hanging out. It's like, no, you have to have a purpose. It has to have intention. We need to know where you are. We need to know how long it's going to last. And so it's like, okay, well, I'm going to Katie's house to watch a movie for two hours and we'll have dinner and then I'll come home right afterwards. Like that was allowed sometimes. Um, Or I'm going on a school speech team trip and we'll be gone most of the day. Afterwards, I'll get driven home by so-and-so's mom. And then, you know, so it was it was really that kind of thing. That being said, I always found ways around it. I found a workaround. Um, and, you know, snuck out a lot, lied a lot. But so college was freedom. Um, and then I actually, after college, uh, there was no, da- there wasn't a lot of dating, but I was just trying to find like a love by hooking up. That makes sense. But, um, I, I actually, um, went to law school. Um, and in law school, I started, I think what might be a journey of maybe that's where self-love started. Who knows? But I lost, and, and, and I'm not saying that losing weight is equivocal, you know, it's not, it doesn't equal self-love. But I started to invest in myself in a very different way, whereas before I think I was much more avoidant. So I I started working with a trainer and I lost a lot of weight. I, it was also pretty messed up because suddenly, like people who I knew for years, guys and girls, who you know, who weren't talking to me or giving me a certain kind of attention before, suddenly were like, "Hey, Fazia, you look great," and I was like, "Oh, cool, yeah." do I, you have never looked at me like that before. So that was a huge step and definitely got sort of a sexual attention that I'd never received. Um, And I definitely was, you know, trying to save myself for marriage. That was the thing I was doing. Um, Because I think in some way, like, you know, for me, sex was in some ways the final frontier of Muslimness. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, truly, truly like the being queer or like being attracted to women. I mean, when I look back those relations, again, I feel like this is like a classic story because I look back and I'm like, Oh my God, I always had like a girl best friend, like, and those shifted throughout. So I didn't date a lot but I had many women best friends, like many who were like my best friend. And we were like, had to be together. And like, it was never anything sexual between us, nor would there ever have been, or there were any thoughts, but like we were together or we argued, like we were a couple, like it was that 
kind of thing. Um, but I didn't like go to gay bars like on the prowl until I was 29. And, you know, I, I, I do think that, you know, one of the things that happened between men was, you know, my best friend and I had hooked up at, at some point. Um, my, my actual, but my best friend I met in college, who is still my best friend today, but we had this hookup, but you know, at the club during club time on substances mm-hmm. as one does. Um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that sort of, I think was a door opener to just, Hey, what is this about this line? What was that line? Now we can cross it. Now, what does that mean? Do, do we cross it again? Do we cross it with others? I don't know. Um, but after you know but but it really wasn't until i was 29 when um you know a lot of kind of other things were happening in my life as well but that's when i started looking at other women and saying what could this be what should i do here what what is what is this what what is this um do you remember that first club that you went to uh well it was in chicago and, uh, God, there's a lot of, I mean, I was just a, a lot of secrets here. I, I was dating somebody secret. I started dating kind of a secret woman. Uh, she wasn't a secret woman. She was a secret woman in my life, a secret sexual partner in my life. And that happened drunkenly one night, uh, after doing a play. Um, and she was the stage manager and, uh, you know, I've done a lot of I, you know, I recognized that the reason it was a secret was obviously because of me. I was just too insecure to be able to face, you know, what was happening inside of me, you know? Um, and, uh, the, the, but when I started going to the bars, it was with my gay guy friends and it was, you know, after rehearsal for a play and they would all go out. Um, and we would go to, um, oh my God, why am I suddenly, uh, there was like big chicks in Chicago. There was chicks. the closet, which, you know, what a, I've had so many nights at the closet, um, sidetracks <laughs> in mm-hmm. Chicago, the, the musical bar of Chicago. Um, and, and that's, those are the spots, you know, we, we'd go or Roscoe's was a big spot to go. And mostly men in some of these spots and then to find the women you would just there were special women's nights um but the closet was definitely one where i started to find myself like going alone sometimes when if there was like a especially if there was like a women's night like i started to meet women and so i'd be like i'm just gonna go i'm gonna have one red bull and vodka alone and i'm gonna chug it and then i'm gonna feel better and then i'm gonna get another one that i'm gonna hold and then I'd start to recognize folks and then I'd be in a group and then the night would, you know, kind of ensue. Sure. You know, I find that a Red Bull and vodka is a drink to savor. <laughs> you know, to just really <laughs> linger over, get into the flavor profile. Mm-hmm. I got to tell y'all, trying to, I, I mean, I actually don't drink now, uh, but I, I will say that the idea of drinking Red Bull in general, it's tough for me because I, I just have so much uh, acid reflux. You know, it just really impacts what you can, <laughs> what you can process anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're not missing anything. Yeah, no one should uh, drink Red Bull at I, any time. I want you to know I hesitated for a second because I was like, are they a sponsor? Who knows? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, no. No, no. Although Red Bull, if you're listening, obviously, listen, we'll do extreme sports. Sure. Red Bull. Uh, So how uh, how did your parents uh, accept the news? Um, Gosh, this is fun. So they uh, no, (laughs) Um, my dad. So part of I think what well, not I think uh, part of what really changed i think the narrative for me and it is really common for a lot of a lot of people i think especially uh children of immigrants uh kids of in asian families is when the uh the patriarch dies and uh so my dad uh died and you know he didn't you know he knew i was leaving 
being a lawyer uh, to pursue a career in the arts and to be an actor. And um, he didn't like that. But then he passed and it was really kind of shocking for all of us. And um, I, it was after, you know, we, it was very dramatic. He, he died while he was traveling in Pakistan with my mom and we all had to get visas and emergency visas and travel to Pakistan to bury him. And then when we came back and in the kind of wake of his passing, I had this time where I was like being a really good daughter and doing all the things I was supposed to do. And then, and I was in a play at the time as well that we were in rehearsals for and the the director didn't recast me, which was a really great thing for my sense of, you know, just sort of having something to pour myself into. But then I had a moment where I was just like done. I was done being a good daughter. And then I just started going to the gay bars with the boys after rehearsal and on the weekends and with the stage manager. And like, that's what we did. And then I had what I call my summer of lesbianism because I was just done doing anything uh, and other than pursuing this career in queerness. Um, and I would go out and meet women and hang out and just sort of, I mean, truly, I just didn't have a language. Um, and I, I, at all, I didn't, I didn't know, like, and there were, I mean, I had a law degree. I was a licensed attorney. I'd left the law. Like I'd done all of these things. And yet I was just like, how do you be gay? Um, you know, and, and I think what was added on top of that was that when I would tell people, I mean, first of all, I was around a lot of, there was a lot of like, a lot of like white queer people. And, you know, I didn't have the language for myself, much less like, like again, looking for folks who were like me. And so when I would tell them I was Pakistani and Muslim, they were just like, well, you can't be gay and Muslim at the same time. And I didn't have the language for it at the time, but I was just like, really? Because I'm right here and I'm not a hologram like, you know, Jem had. I'm real. You know, it's not I'm not yeah. synergy. Yeah. Uh, so um, it was that really added to the complications of like trying to figure out like, well, how do you be in this space? How do you be all of these you know, sort of intersectional identities in this space and in this moment and just embrace it. So it was, it was a lot, but I went out a lot. I would, I was the person who took sunglasses out sometimes. Cause I was like, who knows where we'll end up. Let's just have sunglasses to walk home the next day. And, and not necessarily always like in some crazy situation, but you just want it. I just was again in this space. It was almost like a re you know, re-experience of some of what I went through in college, which was like, I just didn't want it to end. I wanted the night to last yeah. for as long as possible because it was something that I was like craving and yearning. Um, and, you know, the thing that I definitely felt that I had not experienced before was the way that women, um, the way they met me. I mean, of course, there were some of these other complications of race and religion, but in terms of like my body and just seeing me, like they met me where I was. And there was this un previously unexperienced feeling of like, oh, I d it doesn't matter if my body is large or small. It doesn't matter what my body really is. It is a body that is like desired by these women. And in not in like a, like it was just really kind of a revelation. And that really, I mean, it makes me emotional, I, you know, thinking about it, but it was just like, oh, this is transcendence. This is what I want. This is who I am. This is everything. So that was my true <laughs> beginning of building everything else. You know, like now I can begin. Yeah. And that is when I had my first girlfriend and we dated for three years and you know, she was incredible, but like, we were also just really in the wrong places at the same, at the, uh, together. Like we weren't really, I think we were meant to learn from each other and it ended badly. And it was after that three year relationship when I was still mostly kind of closeted that I came out to my mom, you know, and, and that, you know, it's like, it's not a short answer, but the, what happened at the end of that relationship, when I came out to my mom and she had met my ex before as friends as my roommate 
And it was when we were still doing Gchat. That was like a thing. That was like the thing that we were, mm-hmm. how we were communicating. And I was doing a touring comedy educational show that traveled around to colleges and military installations around the world. And so I was in airports a lot. And so I was in the Atlanta airport, which is just oh, a big monstrosity at times. Um, but mm-hmm. I was really sad that, you know, my ex and I had broken up and it was a lot to process and it was really a difficult time. And I was so sad. It was that moment where you feel so much, I don't know, you're broken in a way where you just want to talk to a mom, your mom. And she pops up on Gchat. And I told her, I'm like, mom, I'm sad. And she's like, well, why are you sad? And I said, well, I had to move out of the house. And she's like, oh my God, you should have, I told you I would have come and helped you. I would have brought the van. And she's like, no, 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 mom, it's not that. Like, you know, I, I just, I'm gonna, I'm going to miss the cats and I'm going to miss the, the, this, the plants I helped plant all this stuff. And she's like, oh, well, you know, and, and I'm going to miss, you know, everything about being there. And she's like, oh, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. You'll find a new place. You'll find a new roommate. And that was when I said, over Gchat, I said, mom, she wasn't my roommate. She was my girlfriend. We were dating. And then there's this like Gchat silence, Gchat silence. Oh, God. And then she types, well, that was a bombshell. (laughs) And then she types, you know, how could you be so selfish? And, you know, that, you know, I, I, I wrote a one woman play in which I talk about this and enact that. And, you know, there's that moment of just memory of like feet walking past you as you're sitting on the floor. Cause that's kind of your eyeline. And, you know, it was then preceded by, you know, many religious things, um, telling me why that's not good or why that's not appropriate. Um, and we didn't talk for a long time. Um, we just sort of had to not talk. So it, it definitely was not received well, but that moment was essential to stepping out of, I feel like what we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, which was the lie and the duality. And it was like truly finally time to no longer live in that duality or tripleality, you know, like it was just time to to begin. Yeah. Jem and Jerrica have to come together. Jem and Jerrica have to come together. That is it. It's too much work. Oh my God. Yes. I, it is truly Showtime Synergy. I got a, I got a license. Uh, see if they'll license this to me and write the Muslim version of Jem. Oh, yes. Let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, but now you are married. How did... Uh, how did you meet? We met at a film festival. Uh, my wife, I know, just she used to be the executive director of Inside Out Film Festival in uh, Toronto, which is one of the largest uh, queer festivals in the world. And she was programmed, their festival had programmed my feature film signature move that I co-wrote and starred in and uh, produced, which had its world premiere at South by Southwest in 2017, uh, before we met Dave. Um, but so it was there and, um, she was the new executive director and, you know, that festival had programmed my work before, and, but I had never, that was her first year. And we immediately definitely had a connection and, um, it was just like, Oh, who is this person? And we just had this sense of familiarity. And then we kept running into each other at other festivals as one does and around the world. Um, and then when I moved to LA in 2018 and, um, was out of another relationship, um, and moved to LA in 2018 in the summer, we started dating. And then we got married two years later. So truly a a pandemic love story. Yeah, a pandemic love story. And we we got married in in, on uh, on 0202 2020. So like the palindrome day. Um, Mm. And, you know, it was one of those moments where it was a month before the pandemic. And I... 
you know, I don't know. I mean, we, you, the three of us have been through a journey with this, but like, it almost feels like it kind of makes sense as to why it just was like, what are we waiting for? Because I realized I also had this fear of commitment and a friend of mine, um, Sonia Passi and her wife, Chani Nicholas, who've been, they both, Chani married us, uh, our friends and they're a couple and Chani married us and Sonia uh, was the witness. But in leading up to before I was ready to get married, Sonia was like, what are you, what are you waiting for? Like you love this person. She loves you, but you, and I said, well, what if something comes around the corner and changes again? Or what if something happens? And she's like, what you're describing is not being in the present. And it was truly the moment where the boulder was removed out of my path. That was in my path that I had set there. And I just was like, suddenly like, Oh, right. What am I waiting for? Like, this is, if it changes, it changes It nothing like it'll change. It's going to change no matter what, because that's being a human. And so then we just were like, well, should we get married? What? Yeah, let's get married. And, you know, also like waiting for this like amazing Bollywood wedding that your family would be a part of, like, why am I waiting for that? Like, then I, I might never, I'm never going to have these things that we were set up for as kids of like expectations. Like if you want it, you just have to make it happen. And it will always look different than you dreamt it would, but maybe it's better. Um, and so we, we got married, we did a, we talked about it in a week later, we were like, what's a good date? That's a good, beautiful day, great astrology. And, um, yeah, we married in a friend's backyard with like 15 people, none of my blood family. And um, we were like, kept it a secret. And we were like, we'll tell people. And then the pandemic hit and we're like, maybe we should wait to tell people. <laughs> um, and then we eventually shared it with folks like months later online. It was actually after Niecy Nash came out with her wedding that I was like, you know what? Let's just tell people about our fucking happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Thank congratulations you. indeed. I mean, I'm I'm happy you told people about it here today. Yes. Fauzi, thank you so much for yes. taking the time. You are truly, truly, truly outrageous, like Jem oh, herself. Oh my God. I think I need to go buy some merch. Right? Yeah. Me too. Yeah. It's just taking me back. Um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This was super, super fun. Homophilia is a World of Wonder production produced and edited by Kate Moldenhauer. Special thanks to Randy Barbato, Fenton Bailey, Stephen Sims, Edward Bochniak, and the whole team at World of Wonder. We love you. And theme music by my Ben Wise. Yes, uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HomophiliaPod. You can give us a five-star review uh, on Apple Podcasts. Mm. Thank you for listening. We love you. Mm.